Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Laconia campus. So if you've been with us this summer, um, we've been working through a series called Kingdom Inside Out. And we've looked at this fundamental truth that it's God's will for heaven to be on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Throughout all of Scripture, there's this account of God's pursuit of humanity, of how He is in process of reestablishing His presence and His way and His kingdom on earth and the way that it should have been. But man had chosen to separate. That man had chosen to do life apart from Him. And as a result, the world is filled with death and dying and disease and struggle. And between God and man, there's this wedge, and it's sin. And God, who is holy, and I heard John share this with me the other day, I love how this was phrased, that God's judgment is against the things that destroy us. It's it's like a a body when you get a bacterial infection that the body fights it off because the disease would otherwise kill you. And so this, the the sin, the nature, the, the thing that needs to go, God came to take it. God came to to deliver us from death, dying, and disease so that we might know him now, so that we might have life with him now. And this series of Kingdom Inside Out is about changing the way that we see ourselves and changing the way that we see reality. Jesus said in Matthew 3, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, which means not a destination, which means now. And repent means to change the way we think, to change the way we view others, to change the way we engage with others, to change the way we relate to God. We've been working through the Beatitudes, which we've seen that the Beatitudes show us the process by which God shapes us into something that's usable, that he makes us like Jesus, because wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is there as well. So as God forms Christ in us, the kingdom advances in us and through us. And it starts out, this process begins with this recognition of our brokenness apart from God, our utter dependency upon Him where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That God has made us as spiritual beings, spiritual beings who need God Himself to sustain us and give us life. Disconnected from Him, we die like a branch that snapped off a tree. And, and Christ came to... Stick us back in the the vine. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. 
Isaiah 55 gives this beautiful illustration of what God is like. He compares himself to living waters. And, and there's this invitation to everyone in Isaiah 55 to come to the waters that we might be satisfied. It talks about this, that how in life we pursue things that cannot feed our spirit, that cannot satisfy. But when we come to the waters and we gaze into the waters and we see who God is and we see who we are, it brings us to a place of abandonment. It brings us to a place of surrender and saying, have all of me. Allow my old self to die because the old self was death. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. I just knocked my microphone out. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Oh, there you are. I thought it'd be dangling down there. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> All right. Mercy on me. <laughs> he gives us life. He gives us abundant life. He gives us life in such a way that we've never tasted or experienced before. But the problem is, in the second verse, verse 4, it says that we need to go through a mourning process. We need to let the old self die. We keep allowing the old self to come back. We keep giving it CPR and trying to resurrect it. And the flesh wars against the spirit. And it draws us away and it pulls us. One of the ones we haven't gotten to yet is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm just going to jump there real quick because I think this is essential. That we see God with our heart. It's our spiritual eyes. And when we go back to the old self, it puts things in our heart which blind us to seeing where God is. And eventually we become cold and disconnected and we have no fellowship with Him anymore. It's not that He's not there. It's just that we're blind to Him. And our spirit's crying out, I need you. But our tongue is mute because idols are mute. And those idols in our heart silence us so we can't yell out to the God who can save us. So we let the old self die. And it says that we shall be comforted. This word comforted in Greek is parakaleo. It means to come alongside. It means that God's presence comes alongside of us. And it comes inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit, which is the source of the new life. Ephesians 2 says, but God... I'm going to read it. I love this. I have to. I have to. Because faith comes by hearing. Not my words, his words. Here we go. Man. Yeah. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ.
new creation, new man, new life, new passions, new desires, new self. And it starts out very basic. This life of following, and maybe it stays pretty basic the whole time too, because it's always a life of following. Where it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That God breathes within us and endows us with power from God. But we need to learn to operate under God's control. So it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Life isn't about taking opportunities. It's about walking in God's favor and provision. Ephesians 2 says that he has prepared good works beforehand that we might walk in them and we don't get to experience them until we start following him. Last week we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That food and water are good for your flesh, but they don't feed your soul. That the things of this world might be good for enjoyment, but they don't feed the new man. It's Christ who's our food. Our food, our bread is to do his will and his works. His spirit is like water to my soul. Remember that old song, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to start me singing and get a guitar going on. He changes us. He makes us a new man, and we learn to follow him, and we learn that life flows through him, and it starts to change the way we see the world. It starts to change the way we see people. It creates this hungering and this thirsting for righteousness, to see others have right relationship, to be right with God, to see the world made right with God. It's that righteousness starts out with ourself and we want to be made right and Christ makes us right. It's not by works, it's by faith that he makes us right with the Father. Hebrews. Woo! I think it's nine. Yeah, nine. Hebrews nine. I read this, I read this passage last service where it says that but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. That Christ is our righteousness. And when we get to that place of freedom and recognizing this, we start to see the people around us differently, recognizing they need the same thing. They need the good news. They need to know Jesus too, because they need life. They need that abundant life. They need a redemptive touch from their Savior. Now, Nicole shared with me this amazing testimony the other day that I want to have her come up and share and this testimony illustrates our next beatitude. That was all introduction now to today's sermon. That blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Amen. I was blessed to meet with Carrie and Pastor Greg. And as many of you know, um, 
My name is Nicole, and I've been on uh, short-term mission trips, but I also lived in the Philippines for eight months with my daughter and just really got my feet wet in what God was doing there and learning to hear him and learning to be merciful um, by his grace. Uh, it started with an invitation for a two-week mission trip. Um, our leaders, Ron and Chris, put together by God um, to go after Typhoon Yolanda and rebuild churches and buildings. And I'm like, I'm not a carpenter. But I felt called. I felt that he had a plan to use me there. Um, going through the training, because before we go on a mission field, we need to know how to be used by God. Um, and... Ephesians says, equip the saints, and that's exactly what Ron and Chris did for us. Um, they equipped us with how to be used by God. And coming up this winter, if you want to learn how to go through that journey, uh, last year we sent a team to New York City, right here in our nation, and we're doing it again. They're preparing a team. Announcements will be coming up, but mark your calendars, November, departing in December, for an amazing journey to see how to be used by God. While we were there with a team of 15 in the Philippines, it was coming to the end of our two weeks. We did great things. So we were sharing with each other at breakfast what we were, how we felt we were used by God. And it got to me, and I had my opportunity to share, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know where my moment was, because they said, be prepared. There's a reason that he has you here. And I kind of scrumped my shoulders over, and I went... Okay, well, I did a lot, but it, it didn't feel like it was that moment. And when we left the restaurant, the whole team was going out to do their thing, what they wanted to do. It was our very last day there. And at the bottom of the steps, now we saw beggars, we saw homeless people, just like here in America. They, a lot of them will come right up to you when they need something. They're not um, shy. But this woman was humble, and she was standing back behind the steps and she was just putting her hands to her mouth and I just I was the last person to leave the restaurant the whole team had already walked by but I caught her out of the side of my eye and I said she needs something and I was drawn to her and I went over and I just said do you need something and I didn't even see it but there was a shawl a blanket covering the front of her and Chris St. Cyr came over and lifted this shawl and there was a three day old baby under this shawl she didn't speak English, so through translation, we were able to find out that she had come to this island. She was from a different island. She had come here to find her husband. In the Philippines, people leave, and they go to bigger cities to find work. And he had found work, but he had also found another woman. So she came to find him and not only found that she didn't have a husband, but she didn't have a way to get back because he was done with her. She gave birth on the street. She wasn't welcomed by families there. But God used us to be a light. I brought her up to the restaurant, got her something to eat. I'm thinking, you've been on the street. You need to eat. She's nursing this brand new baby. Fed her. And then I said, you need to shower. And I remember Ron and Chris, don't bring anyone back to your room. And I went, well, I am. <laughs> and I brought her back to my hotel room. And I gave her clothes and I got her showered. The team said, what can we do? I said, in America, we give baby showers. Let's shower her with his love. Go get diapers, whatever you can find. We didn't know where to find baby stuff. We had been buying tools and lumber. I had no idea what God was doing. But as I walked her from that restaurant to my hotel room, 
people were stopping and talking to Ron and Chris and talking to Pastor Dioni. And they asked him, who is the God that this, these people serve? Who stops exactly what they are doing and makes her needs met? The waiter at the restaurant, he helped translate and he went to Ron and Chris and said, who is this Jesus that these people served? I want to be baptized just by being merciful. While I lived there for eight months, I broke my foot and the nun eyes there came up and they wanted to write on my foot and they wrote Maloiloi On. For those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, you see that as my name. Ellison is just Nicole backwards. And Maloiloi On in Cebuano, which is the native language there that I'm learning. Maloiloi On means merciful. And they wrote that on my cast and they gave me that new name. And they said, this is your Filipino name because you've been very merciful. And I said, the only reason I was able to do that is because I have a God and a Jesus who loves me. He's been merciful to me. And I want to share that with you. Yeah. 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 God is forming in us and he's shaping in us the person of Christ. And scripture says that God is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in hesed, which is steadfast love. Mercy is where is compassion with action. Jesus embodies all of what mercy is. Mercy is to step out of your life and into a life of another and meet them in the need that they have. Mercy is the collision of life and death, and the death gets resurrected and becomes alive. Mercy was the seat of God's presence in the tabernacle and in the temple. Remember in Indiana Jones, the ark? This, there was this gold box in this little room called the Holy of Holies, and it was completely set apart. And no one could go in there without dying because God's presence is holy. And sin can't be in the presence of God because, like I said, God's presence comes upon the thing. His judgment comes upon the thing that destroys. And sin is that which destroys. Like a virus. Like a bacteria. There's this ark. In the ark was this golden pot of manna. There was a staff, which was the rod or staff of Aaron. And there were the Ten Commandments inside. On top, there were two cherubim with their wings extended for, forward, touching each other, forming a throne where the king would sit. Coming down from heaven was God's presence, the Shekinah. Mercy was at the intersection of God's presence and God's provision. You see, the staff of Aaron was the rod of deliverance that was used during the seven plagues. The pot of manna was that which fed the Israelites when they were hungry and they were famished in the wilderness. The commandments, which can be summarized as love God and love your neighbor as yourself, 
represented God's love in the kingdom way. The mercy seat was the seat of sacrifice. It was the place where on Yom Kippur, once a year, the high priest would come in and he would sacrifice a bull for himself and then he would take two goats. One goat he put his hand upon and transfer sin. The other one, which was a spotless sacrifice, or maybe not as spotless as Jesus, but as close as they could get before Jesus, was sacrifice and blood was doused on the altar seven times. Seven means perfect sacrifice. The scapegoat, which had the sin transferred onto it, was sent out into the wilderness, signifying the separation of sin from the people. As far as from the east is to the west, God separates sins from us. Mercy is at the intersection of God's presence and God's provision, His love, His healing, His deliverance. He's called us, each one of us, to step into the lives of others. In the same way that Jesus stepped into this world, He's called us to see the broken. He's called us to heal. He's called us to deliver. He's called us to cast out demons. He's called us to show the world what Jesus is like. It says in 2 Corinthians that the gospel has been veiled to those who are perishing. It says this in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled. Veiled means blocked can't see it, can't understand it, to those who are perishing. In their case, the gods, or the god of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. Meaning they can't see Jesus because they've been blinded. That our world is filled with those who are crying out, for mercy, but they can't see the one who can give them mercy. And when we ignore those cries, we silence them. Because God has made us as the light of the world, and the light lifts the veil. In Mark, there's this amazing parable. It's not, not a parable, it's a story. Where Jesus heals this blind man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus means son of un the unclean one. Our world is filled with people who feel like they can't come to Jesus without getting the judgment, where they don't realize that a sacrifice was made so that they can come into his presence, that we can come to him, that he's done everything to make a way for us to come to him. The story goes this way, and they came to Jericho. Jericho was this place of affluence at the time. We know in the Old Testament the story of Joshua and Jericho where the walls came crumbling down. See, many years later that became a city of affluence, maybe like Boston, right, in a modern-day sense. And as he was leaving Jericho, his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, which means son of unclean, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. This name has no significance to it, Timaeus. Nobody would have known who Timaeus is. It's 
written there by Mark to show that God sees us. That God even sees the ones that are deemed insignificant. He knows our name. He stops and he listens. The woman that Nicole is talking about, Jesus would have went to him. In fact, Jesus was already there with that lady. So you have this situation where Bartimaeus, he's on the roadside. It says he's sitting by the roadside. This road that left Jericho was a, was a treacherous road. It was filled with robbers and looters. And he was sitting there on the roadside. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did his disciples do? Do you remember the story? They said, they said be quiet. They said, be quiet. I wonder if that's what we say whenever we go through life and we don't take the opportunity to share him. We carry within us the person of Jesus wherever we go. That we have the ability to engage with and touch redemptively anybody. That God, who is a healing God, can heal through you and wants to heal through you. That God who breaks addictions wants you to pray for somebody who needs deliverance. And he can do it. There's a verse that says, Oh, oh nobody anything except for, Oh man, no, oh, <laughs> I say a lot. Oh, anyone but love. Who's love? God's love. We are indebted to engage with and to show people Jesus. It's the one debt we have. It's the talent that's inside of us that we're accountable for. That we have the presence of God. Romans 3 says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. In Greek, propitiation is the same word for mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. He's inside of us on our heart. We bring mercy with us wherever we go. And we can choose to display it or we can put a basket on it. We can get so busy with life that we're saying, shh, too much to do. I can't bother with you. Whereas people are crying out, Jesus. And they're not crying it out with words. They're crying it out with their life. Because it's the death rails. It's a life that is dying and screaming, save me. But they don't see the Savior. That's our job. Jesus, before he read the Beatitudes, I've gone over this passage every time, and I feel like it's so essential to unlocking these Beatitudes, the key to them, where it says that he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction among the people. He was meeting people exactly where they were at and giving them life. 
Because mercy is this collision of life and death, and death always loses and becomes alive. He brought life wherever he would go. Mercy is the incarnation. It's stepping down from our Christian bubble throne Amen. and stepping into a life of somebody who feels like they're a dog under a table looking for a crumb. Yeah. That's the essence of what Christianity is. It's stopping, hearing, seeing, responding to. You see, when Jesus heard Bartimaeus, he said, come here. And Bartimaeus leaped up and went to him. You know what Jesus said to him? He didn't even say, do you want me to heal your eyes? He said, what would you like me to do for you? Open. Wow. How would you like Jesus to say that for you, to you? Well, he already has. That's what prayer is about. But um, anyway, and so Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Can you restore my sight? And Jesus restores his sight. And at the end of the story, the best part is, Bartimaeus begins to follow Jesus. It says that he followed him along the way. Would you believe that God wants to heal people through you? Would you believe that God's still healing? Would you believe that your prayer is effective, effectual? It changes things. It brings heaven to earth as we declare and proclaim who God is and what he's doing. I have one more testimony for you, maybe to build up your faith. This is, this is Beth. And so, so Beth is, is a believer. So I want you, as you listen to, she's a mighty woman of God. As you listen to her share her story, in the back of your mind, think about this. There's thousands of women who go through what she went through but didn't have Jesus. Okay? So balance that with what she's sharing. I really should be. Try it now. Yes. Really appreciate being here with you and worshiping with you and so I was telling your worship leader, I said, if we had gathered for hours and tried to come up with songs that would go with my testimony, we couldn't have done better than the Holy Spirit did um, with, with him today. I am here today to tell you and to testify that we have a faithful God who can do no wrong. There really is something God can't do. He can't be other than who he is. He can't be other than merciful and loving and kind and good. About five years ago, coming um, up in, in October, our family started through a nightmare, a nightmare that I could never have imagined in all of my days. And I remember um, sitting in my own um, life group, it's not what we call them, but same thing, with my brothers and sisters, and declaring before them 
with Job and saying to God, God, even if you slay me, yet will I hope in you. And that's not about my faith. That's about his faithfulness. I could say that and I could trust him because he is trustworthy. A few months later, in one of our songs today, it talked about how God gives us what we need before we even know we need it. So in January, God gave me a vision. Um, he does this sometimes, and this time it was for me, and it was me wrapped in a snuggly, you know, the ones mummies use to carry their babies. And my first response was, put me down and let me walk. You know, I'll lead the way, um, kind of a thing. Well, just six weeks later, out of the blue, I was diagnosed with acute leukemia and given six weeks to live without treatment. And... Um, I chose to have the treatment, and my doctor told me, he said, my objective is to keep you alive, and in the meantime, I'm going to beat you up. And he did. And I know in my mind that I went through a lot of horrible things. But what I experienced was being held in that snuggly. And I came to know my Abba Daddy in a way that I had never known him in the 42 years since I first met him as my Savior. And it was a beautiful time. And, and pastors talked about us being instruments of God's mercy. And here I was, totally helpless, I mean, the reality was that without other people's blood, I could not live another day. Okay, talk about just being totally hope, helpless. And yet, because God's mercy and love was so powerfully being um, showered into me that it radiated out and the nurses would fight over who got me as a patient because they said they would step into my room and it would be like they were stepping into paradise. And that's our merciful God, that even in our weakness, he would still use us to be able to bring glory to him. So I, I had some, um, some ups and downs, and one of the huge downs as far as the medical community was concerned was they couldn't match my blood. Um, red blood cells were hard to match, but they were able to do it. The platelets were nearly impossible. They found one person out in the Midwest um, who I very thankfully would, was on standby. But this made my situation very precarious. So they chose to stop my treatments. However, I went into complete recovery. And I was told that if I could go for 24 months with my blood counts staying where they were supposed to be, 
that um, I would have no better chance statistically of getting leukemia again than anybody else. So 22 months later was um, Good Friday, and um, I knew even before that night that the leukemia was back. The doctors couldn't proclaim it medically yet, but I knew. And as I took communion that night, and our pastor broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you, God spoke to me and said, are you willing to be poured out and broken for me? And I went, whoa. Okay, God, can we talk about this a little bit here? And God said, are you willing to be broken and poured out for me, no matter what it means? Now, if it meant going to heaven, that didn't sound so bad. Matter of fact, that sounded really good. However, I do have 14 grandchildren, and I really would like to see them get married and rock their babies and be a part of their life. And there was, there was like, God, but I still want to bring people to you. There's still things I want to do. But I don't particularly want to go through all that again. And he said to me, if you will be broken and poured out for me, I will be all that you need. Every day, I will give you whatever you need for that day. Well, the next hurdle to come over was um, uh, the fact that I didn't think there was anything they could do. Okay, because of this blood situation, the poor matches, I didn't think there were, I had any options. And um, however, it turned out that I did, that I was a candidate for a stem cell transplant. None of my siblings were matches. And so then it was a matter of finding a match. And I said, God, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be a 10 out of 10. And there was one young man in Germany out of the 4 million Caucasians who are in the database that was a perfect match. And he was willing to do the stem cell transplant. And so in October of 2014, I had a stem cell transplant. And um, since then, I've had my ups and downs. As one doctor put it, he says, you have dodged a lot of bullets. So here's the thing. And I asked in the first service a little girl who knew me during this time. I, I said, Abby, if, if God had not let me be here today, if I was in heaven today and I had died um, during some of this time, would God still be good? And she said, yes. And I said, you're right, because he is a faithful God who can do no wrong. And it was little Abby who taught me a really great lesson. I was teaching um, the children at Next Gen, and she was there. And we had learned, as Pastor said so well today, we get separated from God, and we need a rescuer. And the kids knew that the rescuer was going to come through Abraham's son, Isaac. And so when we came to the story of God telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abby jumps up and goes, no, 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 he can't, he can't, he can't. I said, Abby, what's the matter? 
I thought, you know, she's all upset because God's asking a father to sacrifice his son. She says, he can't. Because the rescuer is going to come through Isaac, and if Abraham kills him, we are all doomed. I said, you're right, Abby. But remember our verse, and this is the truth. We have a faithful God who can do no wrong. And for anyone who knows the story, we know that God provided at the last moment as Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, God provides another sacrifice. In our lives, we don't always know the rest of the story. We don't know whether we'll be healed of leukemia or if the nightmare my family is still going through is ever going to end in this life of mine. But I know this. We have a faithful God who can do no wrong. And just for the end of the story, or at least the rest of the story at the moment, in June, this last, uh, well, this last April, my counts started to go down just a little bit. And then in May, they went down a little bit more. And so the doctors were like, well, just to be safe, let's get you tested in between visits. Okay. So I was, got a call Friday, and uh, they said, Beth, your counts have gone way down. You're neutropenic, you need to avoid crowds, you have no platelets, you need to be very careful. And on Monday, we will do a biopsy. And I said, okay, so what does this mean? And they said, well, either the leukemia is back or the graft has gone bad. Okay, I have a faithful God who can do no wrong. Sunday, I got prayer at church. Monday, I went in for the biopsy. They were literally ready to hook me up to put in my pre-meds. And a nurse comes in and says, stop. All of her, all of her counts have returned to normal. And all you medical people in the audience are going, what? This does not happen. No, it doesn't. And I had just been telling the nurses some of my story, and they looked at me and went, wow, you got some God. I said, that's right. That's right. I have a faithful God who can do no wrong. God's a good God. He's a loving God. He's able to do exceeding, exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can hope. 
It says that, the word says that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to a mountain, be uprooted and cast into a sea. Disciples were in a boat with Jesus. He was asleep during the storm. They could have said to the storm, stop. But they didn't. We carry in us the person of Christ, and every encounter we have is an opportunity to show them the king, to release the kingdom in their life in the, in the same way that Beth was releasing the presence in the hospital room and, and the nurses recognized that we can do that as we walk and as we go. That whether it's a healing touch or whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's just a smile or even better, sharing the reason for the hope that you have in sharing the gospel, which can resurrect a person and make them a new creation so that whatever happens in their life, they're good because our God is good. So we have this debt, this responsibility to release the kingdom wherever we go. And he's given us the ability because his, his presence resides in us. He sits on our heart. God is merciful. Let's go on a mercy mission together. Amen. Yeah. So uh, we're going to wrap up. But I think after such a service, you have to have time for prayer. Um, so if you need to go, please uh, go uh, quietly and allow those who want to stay to receive prayer. I'm going to have Jason just come up with a guitar and play uh, quietly. And then if I can have Peter and some others uh, to come and pray. And uh, enjoy your long weekend. I love you guys. So excited for what God's doing. And, and uh, let me pray a blessing. Lord, I pray your hand upon each one here. God, I pray a blessing upon them. I pray that you would keep them, that you would order their steps. God, that, that you would teach them your way that they might walk in your truth. And that's for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 